You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation. Well, we get it. We get it. People that listen to this show are into fly fishing, apparently. Apparently more so than bird hunting. And Yeah, you did you did something last week to try to gin up some business and now we're we're flipping it on the other end, flipping yeah, the other side of the coin. So Cody was like, We have a couple of trips and the minimum bids are in five hundred dollars. Um five hundred uh, What I said was we're tied. Tied, that's what you said. Uh huh. That's right. Which is true. Yeah. But five hundred dollars was the minimum bid for your trip. Exactly. And somebody's up my bid my trip's up to five hundred. Yeah, so your, you don't your, have your minimum bid was three. Three. So mm-hmm. yours has already hit five, mm-hmm. five Hondo. Yeah. And uh I'm still sitting at five. So mm-hmm. I'm really I'm starting to question the listener a bit here and wonder do you, do you really do you want this podcast to be all about trout fishing and fly fishing and <laughs> cat, roll casting and I mean maybe we'll get into shadow casting. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, since we're that podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're going to talk, you know, dry flies and the mayfly hatch and we're going to be flipping rocks and looking at bugs. Yeah. You know, trying to see what kind of fly We'll be tying royal coachmans and talking you through the entire process <laughs> on on the show, yeah. since that's what you're into. Or so, or you could go ahead and bid on my freaking bird hunting trip, and then you got your own feathers to tie your own flies with. So you can still be a snobby fly fisherman. There, there but is. at least at yeah. least you're getting your own feathers. You're not buying them from the store. So well, all I'm saying is, I'm real glad that you're bidding on Sam's trips, but. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a it's kind of a catch twenty two for you because best case scenario would be what I've said, which you to, said many to times you, to you uh-huh. and, and not on the air, which was best case scenario of this entire thing is we raise the money by you having a really successful sellout on your fly fishing trip, but no one bids on <laughs> my trip. But then the other side is you're gonna get your feelings hurt a little bit if you uh. If you don't, some, nobody bids on it. Well, and I'm you're going to get, you're going to not your feelings hurt, but you're going to kind of just question the the podcast is going to mean less to you because you're like, how is it possible? <laughs> how me, is it possible that nobody is interested in hunting? It well, it's certainly going to change what I talk about on here. Maybe so. Um, is it going to mean less? Maybe probably not because we're still raising money for. What's interesting? What's interesting to me is. A couple of our most listened to episodes are the bird hunting. Are the bird- <laughs> we haven't, which we will. We haven't had a trout fishing guide on, but we will. Yeah, he's coming. But um, I don't know. Our most successful episodes have been about bird hunting, and you can't get a dog on bid. Maybe it's too high, but uh, that's the price. That the price is not coming down. Yeah, I would rather get no bids than lower the lower the uh, lower the price. You're just losing money at that point. It's just it's too much work. Yeah. Um, but that said, no matter what your your fancy is, whether you're a fly fisherman or if you like bird hunting a whole bunch, you should uh, go out and bid on these things because you've got the rest of this week. So this podcast is going to air t- tomorrow. Um, so it'll be Tuesday. You're listening to this, hopefully. Today's the September 21st. Sounds Monday. right. Sure. You should be on the 22nd, when you get done listening to this, you should get to the office and blow off work for a bit, 
and go on your email and email Brian at Brian at three rivers land trust.org and lock in your bid. You already know where they are. If you want Sam's trip, you need to be bidding more than five. If you want my trip, you need to bid at least five. Mm-hmm. Or I guess make me an offer. We'll take trades at this point. Like if you got an old car, you're looking to trade or something. <laughs> you know, hit me, hit Brian up. Maybe yeah. we'll work something, <laughs> work something out. I'm about to joke. I'm thinking about all the things that might come in. Yeah, it's a used washer machine. <laughs> I've got an old couch. What do you think? <laughs> um, so half day for an old couch. Yeah, yeah, we're not trading couches. But um, seriously. Get on there, email Brian, and lock in your bid because you've got the rest of the week. Because next Monday, next Monday, when the podcast drops with the special guest that we're going to have on, he's going to help us debut the winners. And what we're going to do is we're going to say, well, here's who won. Thank you for your support of conservation and for your steadfast listening to the podcast. And we're going to make sure that you get not only the trip, some signed swag and Whatever else you would like to have, as far as the podcast goes, we're going to make sure that you're super happy. Right? Yeah, for sure. So, anyways, moving on to the next thing. We, we've we had get intermittent guests, and we haven't had a chance to kind of do a, a follow-up on a couple things that we've, we've had on our minds. Um, and one, I think, is this, this stove. Mm-hmm. Right? So, we had our, we had our big dove hunt. Um, Saturday the 5th, Saturday the 5th, we had our big, like, socially distanced dove hunt. But, you know, staff, you know, we're together all the time anyways. We're COVID-free and we're in proximity of each other. So we cooked and had a lunch with this stove that was provided by Backcountry and Beyond. It's that BioLite stove that I've been talking about. We had, we thought it was cool. We've always thought it was cool, but we hadn't tested the the cool factor out yet until that day we went into it kind of blind and I brought I didn't know how good it was going to work so I brought some pellets from my pellet grill and you know some fuel like that and then the rest was we were just going to scrape up whatever you know sticks twigs pine cones leaves and see how it did because it's supposed to burn on all natural fuel and charge its own batteries with this thermoelectric little motor that's on it and it's got this grill top, so we put it all together. Assembly was super easy, um, first time use. And wound up, you know, started out with those wood pellets and wound up finding out that actually the sticks and twigs and pine cones and stuff actually burned better and hotter than the wood pellets. I mean, they're made for smoking. So, but this thing, it was unbelievable how well it worked. Yeah, I, uh, I was thoroughly impressed. I think it's one of those one of those things where we always, when we're talking about stuff that we're, you know, that Jeff and the folks at Backcountry and Beyond provide to us, that we're like, you know, we're going to test it out first and and see what we actually think about it before we really talk about it too much. And this is one that really panned out. Um, there's a couple of tools that like are kind of crucial to using it, like a couple of a set of long tongs. Yeah, we did not have long tongs, so we we're using a Bowie knife flipping the sausages that didn't work out so great but like one try you test it out once and you pretty much figure out okay this is a serious piece of equipment and i need this 
and this. What tongs was one. What was it? What else? Uh, Maybe like a oven mitt or something. Oven mitt would have been nice, or a, or a, like a welding glove uh-huh. or something. And we also talked about they need or we need to design a lid for the grill, like mm. like a Weber. It's got the lid oh, on yeah. it. Yeah, because we could have turned that thing into a smoker. Yeah, I mean See, we could have easily turned it into a smoker. The heat coming off that grill was not what I expected. And it, it was far hotter than I I could have possibly imagined. Just on twig. I'm talking gone. twig, yeah. like mm-hmm. three inch long. Super efficient. Little teeny tiny twigs that I picked up off the shoulder of the road. Yeah. It was. Uh, and it the could, little fan in there that, you know, charges the battery. Well, I guess the heat does, but the fan that stokes the fire that runs off the battery that runs off of the heat from the twigs works like a charm. I mean, the whole like thing's the whole thing's sweet. So, I don't know. That's one. If you were going to go to Backcountry and Beyond and go check out their shop, I think that's one that Cody and I both recommend is, like, definitely consider this. It's a backpacker's tool. You know, it is it is if you're going backcountry or something and you want to live in style. And um, not carry fossil fuel or have to carry fuel, period. Mm-hmm. If you want to just have everything you need right there. I think, oh, another thing to carry, I don't think carrying a bag of pellets or a dry don't. or a dry bag of a dry bag of something just to put in the thing. I mean, pellets aren't necessary, but you know, obviously like you could get in a situation where you're in a downpour and everything gets wet. Um, so it'd be nice to have just like a startup bag of some sort of kindling potentially. Yeah. Um, but some other dryer lint or something to get you going to but once you get fire going, it's I mean, it's you could probably put in some wet stuff and it would it would dry it off and and get you going. So yeah, and we talked about uh, we for backpacking. We felt like without the having the grill top accessory, the stove was just your basic jet bull situation where you could boil water. The grill tops, mountain mountain house stuff, but having that grill top opened up doors that you cannot open up with other stoves. Yeah, and. Yeah. If you're a backpacker, that's going to be a little bit odd to figure out how to pack. If they could figure out a way to fold that thing up a little bit more, that would be better. But me carrying a, a skillet, like that would almost replace the skillet. Yeah, I think um, if, if you're going on like a strictly backpacking trip, you know, you're not going to be carrying meat and stuff with you on your backpacking trip, probably. So um, I would say it's kind of... The grill top and everything is somewhat geared towards the backpacking hunter or fisherman who wants to be able to like lay a trout out across that grill top or lay out like a back strap from a yeah we did from a we did bratwurst we did bratwurst it's a great meat cooking tool Uh, I'm not sure like that for backpacking you you know if you've got freeze dried stuff you need the grill top but dude we just might as well just roll right into this are you ready the dude that's uh, squatting on our property. He would have loved to have had that to grill some vegetables. Which, oh. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about We have it. a few. We have a few stories. I'll tell mine first, and then yeah, you tell go, yours. Yeah, go for it. Um, I got a phone call. Or actually, I didn't. Eat Steely um, running the sports. Oh, my program. God. Oh, yeah. Oh. I didn't even think about this until just should, now. Should we tell the tell the squatter story first and then tell that one? Because that yeah, story, go ahead. Go that ahead story tell, is crazy. Yeah, go ahead and tell this. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is a debriefing from way downtown. Uh-huh. Um, I'm so, I'm shocked we didn't talk about this before. And we haven't that. had a chance. Yeah, I know. Okay, we haven't had a chance ahead. to talk about any of this. So we're talking about this Biolite stove. And if you're into seriously cool, self-sufficient you, gear. <laughs> sorry to interrupt. When you said, like, the, 
the squatter on our property. You were I, thought about the other I thought you. I was thinking like, what is he going to grill corn or something <laughs> for grilling? No, corn? remember he had that box full of. I, no, I'm talking about the, oh. this guy. <laughs> All right, we'll get two to different it. squatters. Yeah, I know. Sort yeah. of. Go ahead. So, anyways, go get you a biolite stove if you're interested in super cool gear that we Sam and I personally say this is this is a legit piece of equipment. Yeah, backcountry and beyond. Um, in That's Salisbury, the only place to get it in Salisbury, North Carolina. Um, backcountryandbeyond.com go see Jeff go see him and also catch while we're on the commercial side of things catch Brian in a cooking video he just put out did you see his new cooking mm-hmm. video it's pretty good okay. I like it um, he's doing pork chops with some sauces and rubs from Backcountry and Beyond oh so, nice anyways on our field fair field fair is that on YouTube it's on YouTube and it's our website link on our website okay, okay, Facebook cool. all, that, all that stuff I think nice. but anyways so back to the squatter so, San, well, actually, the office gets a call a week or so ago. Um, we own a piece of property in a nearby town, but we don't go there very often. It's a uh, conservation piece, and it's pretty much a kind of a hands-off piece. There's not a lot of management to be done there right now. Um, there's things that need to happen, but it's kind of uh, in limbo on what the uh, transition is. Yeah, and the interesting thing about it, which is not traditionally – you know, it's not a traditional conservation piece in that it's large. It's 100 acres, but it's right in the middle of a town. Yep. Yep. So um, that makes it kind of unique. But that was the wishes of the individual who um, donated, the, donated the, property. the property. So, yep. uh, And it's great. You know, it's a really nice piece, and we're, we're working on what to do with it. But it is it comes with different circumstances and different problems than a rural piece. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a wildlife property per se. Uh-huh, sure. Um, so that's why we're saying there's not a lot of management happening here. It's just a it's just a piece that's being protected right mm-hmm. now. So yeah. anyways, we don't go there that often, but we get a phone call um, from some adjoining landowners wanting to know if we were letting somebody uh, basically live there. And we were like, uh, no, nobody's supposed to be there. And so, uh, you know, the pipeline as it works is tasks get passed downhill and so sam and i are tasked with going and checking out what what the story is out here so we uh one afternoon friday last friday afternoon we we ride out to the property and we had kind of a general idea of where they had said this person was living but uh nothing specific at all so we were kind of going into it blind so we look around don't really see anything no evidence of folk being out and we ride around to the other side of the property, nothing there. And we're like, well, we'll, we'll double back and check one more time and go a little deeper in the woods this time. It's like, this is like a hundred and some acres. So it's, it's big enough that you could disappear in there if you wanted to. The heck of a bamboo forest. Like being in, I, I said, this must be what it feels like to hunt pandas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like pretty unbelievable. Mature, a mature um, open. Yeah. So when we say management needs to happen, there are <laughs> definitely things that need to happen there, but. It was actually, it's actually, it's like, it's like walking through a mature oak forest, except for girthy bamboos. I'm too young to have spent any time in Vietnam, but I imagine those boys felt a lot <laughs> like that, the way we felt going through there. Because we also didn't know if somebody was going to be shooting at us, because um, we didn't know what kind of person this is. We still don't, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But we, Oh yeah, uh, we need to check in on that. Yeah, I've called that deputy twice. Okay. Uh, well, here, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But anyways, we... Uh, we start slipping through the woods, and and uh, then uh, you know some time passes, and we we're being quiet, and we see a tent, you know, kind of off off the path a bit, 
And so we, we slip up to the tent there, being careful to kind of keep some some barrier between us and the tent should someone decide to, you know, do something awful and, and open fire or what what have you. And, uh, you know, announce our presence to the tent. Tent doesn't move. And uh, so, I, you know, we also announce that, uh, hey, Sheriff's Department, come on out of the tent, no movement. Reach over and kind of grab the corner of the tent to, basically to feel if it's weighty or not and it feels like there's a body laying in there i'm like that's why i look at sam and kind of give him the look at like yep something something's in the tent and i unzip it super careful sam's you know covering me so to speak and uh the weight i felt was a box full of groceries yeah and man man or woman whoever this is i'm assuming it's a man because it's men's clothing keep a keep a tidy tidy a tidy camp yeah um had everything fold. His clothes were folded. Sleeping bag was nice and zipped up. Um, his groceries were in a corner. But he's definitely living there. Mm-hmm. I mean, full on living in the woods. And uh, never did encounter the guy. Called the sheriff's department. Uh, introduced them to the campsite. And they're supposed to be following up with them. The laws pertaining to this are, as, as told to us by the deputies, where it is abandoned property on your property. You can do with it as you wish. And Sam, neither Sam nor myself really had the uh, had the heart to take this man's camp. We were we don't know his situation or where he was at in life. And yeah, I think it'd be a lot different situation if we rolled up there and unzipped the tent and it looked like you know if it was it dr- if it was drug paraphernalia or something. That's one thing. Yeah, it smelled and was nasty in there. But yeah, the guy kept a pretty pretty nice home. So we don't know what was going on. Maybe his wife kicked him out or. Who knows? Who knows? Lost his job. Mm-hmm. Who knows what happens with this fellow? So we didn't. We didn't really want to take his stuff. So we asked the deputy to check back in with him and hopefully ask him to you know vacate that campsite and take his stuff with him and move on somewhere else. So follow up to come on how that played out. But that was the squatter story. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was like, I bet he would have loved to have that biolite yeah, stove yeah, to, so. to grill because he had a whole bunch of veggies, like a bag full of peppers and. I don't know what I we didn't like. Get pretty his- much exactly like his his shopping list is like <laughs> pretty much exactly what I get from my house. And so. so the reason, the fact that he was gone makes me think that maybe he's actually working a job somewhere. Either there he's panhandling. I don't know. Who knows yeah. what he's doing? Mm-hmm. But we've we've had all kinds of speculations about who this person is. But anyway, maybe he listens to podcasts and he'll hear this and be like, "Well, that was who was rifling around my camp." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, um, so now for the story, the coup de gras. Yeah. So Steely gets an email. From a sports member that pretty much says, um, give me a call. Had something pretty ridiculous happen today during my hunt. Um, so we reached out to him. And he was pretty much like, what kind of operation are y'all running around here? And we were like, what are you, what are you talking about? And he said, uh, I was hunting. And was walking along the edge of the standing corn and the cut corn on block three of the point property and came over the crest of a hill to a man laying on the ground who promptly jumped up out of the laid down corn that he had laid down, butt ass naked. Buck naked. Yeah. <laughs> Start naked. And uh, ah. the hunter said something along the lines of, what in the expletive are you doing? And the guy's like, you know, stumbling and muttering. He's like, let me get my clothes on. And um, he's like, oh, I, I was uh, just 
paddling down the river and uh you know it just looked nice up here and i wanted to catch some rays and um and, all right okay and, so yeah. stop, let me stop you there <laughs> yeah. let me stop you right there yeah so sam tells me this i'm to this point in the story yeah. and i'll say exactly what i just said let me stop you right there yeah first do we believe this this hunter do we believe yes. his story sam says yes we do i don't know him so i i got no input there yeah. but sam says yes we do so i trust that but then my second thought is well, I've got, I have all the questions. Mm-hmm. I have so many questions. But mm-hmm. my second thought is, if I'm picking a place to get naked and catch a few rays, which I could see, you know, outdoorsy kind of fella, you know, whatever. Yeah. I would not pick. I would, the bottom of my list, like way down at the bottom, would be a cornfield. Well. Itchy. Yeah. Buggy. So. Corn. I actually... It's a miracle that he got busted because I to the other side of that, I kind of disagree. He wasn't out in the cut corn. He had laid down some stalks. So he he's had, already he's knocking down corn. Yeah, he's knocking down Brent's corn, but he's kind of like made himself a little pin with a barrier. A nest. Like a yeah. Are, like, we, are we in the nest? <laughs> yeah, circle? Like, <laughs> like, a little, like a little nest and he's got it all laid down. He's got a perimeter. He's got, you know, basically a eight, nine-foot wall and around naked, him. And the nakedness. The nakedness. And uh, that could be a good title. That's maybe. A, I like it a whole yeah. lot. Dude, I've been thinking, there's lots of things I've been wanting to call that. So, yeah, but he, you know, he threw on his, he threw on his shorts and his dirty white T-shirt and his, uh, his <laughs> dirty, orange. Dirty white tee. And his orange safety vest and um, went running back down to the river and got back in his boat. So, if you happen to know who that individual is, I, we talked to the game warden. All really, we did. We said there's not really that much about that we can we can really do about it. There's he probably list. he probably won't come back. But I am curious to know who who this person is. I'd love to know who it is. So if oh. you if you have any speculations, uh, he's apparently he's a white guy, mid thirties, got a beard. Um, it wasn't me. I coming, yeah, <laughs> coming down the. Uh, no tan the, lines whatsoever. Yeah, coming down the South Yagans. <laughs> on so this young gentleman. Maybe, you know, you uh, happen to know who it is. Let, so let us know. Now I have. Any I have, thoughts? Oh, I've got, I've got thoughts. Yeah. I've still got more thoughts on this. Yeah, We're ahead. not done. So my next thought is, okay. The game warden, um, Brandon Lyons for Davie County, he called back and he was laughing and he was like, uh, I just want to let you know that I saved that voicemail. I'm sure he did. He's, like, he's playing he, it for all the like, boys. He's like, I'm sharing it with all my buddies. All the boys in blue. Listen, <laughs> yeah. listen. He's like, what in the hell? Uh, <laughs> that's wild. So, well, it's it, good. It's you know, you know, it's a good story when even a game warden who's seen just about everything is yeah, like, and when people ask him what's the craziest things that ever happened, like that's going to be on the list. Of I told, <laughs> I told the sports member, I was like, I'm glad that. Three Rivers Land Trust could provide a unforgettable <laughs> hunt for you. A memorable experience. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so of all the th- things we've ever anticipated happening through the sportsman, through opening property up to the public who we don't necessarily know sometimes, that's not one of the things that we've anticipated. But so let me break it down for you, the location where he's at. So he said, so he what he, his response, the naked man's response was, Look like a good place to catch some rays. We cannot see this field from the river. For one, he's traveled. He's traveled a half mile, and he's crossed. So he's not only has he came from the river, he's crossed a major swamp, one major <laughs> tributary that is 
as you know, we have wild pigs on this property, wild feral hogs. So it's muddy. They've rutted up this area. And then he's crossed the Clean Water Management Trust Fund buffer that is 500 yards wide and overgrown over your head in, you know, every kind of forb vegetation you can think of, briars, everything. Mm-hmm. And then he's come up the hill through the woods. And then into some standing into corn. Into standing corn and made him an, a naked nest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's right. That's all correct. <laughs> fact, fact, <laughs> fact. Yeah. So while you're th- when you're listening to this and you're thinking about it, you be the judge of if this is true. What or are not. yeah? What are what links would you go to to get naked in somebody else's cornfield? <laughs> <laughs> well, none. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but like, so we can we can. This is we're in the nest right now. We're in the circle of trust. Like we could all be like, yeah, I've been paddling down the river and thought, well, this is a cool spot to skinny dip, or this is a this would be a cool spot to catch a few rays. This mm-hmm. big rock sticking out, yeah. or you know, whatever. Nobody's ever been paddling down the river and thought, man, that cornfield that's a half mile away, that'd be a good spot for me to go get naked. Yeah. Except for this guy. Yeah. Or maybe it's happening more, but the the moral of the story is we have solved one of the world's greatest mysteries with this story. Where do crop circles come from? Oh. Naked nice. naked dudes in kayaks. Naked nests. Naked nests. Yeah. So that's if next time you find a crop circle, that's what's happening. But to piggyback off of that story, mm-hmm. so another sports member, a separate sports member who I trust and you trust too, and my brother, who we both mostly trust. I trust your brother. Sure. So do I, especially with this story. But to piggyback off of that story, so back during turkey season, they were hunting across the, directly across the river on the other side. And they got down to the river and were kind of just like looking. You know how when you're turkey hunting, you're kind of looking for tracks and sign. And they were looking on a sandbar. For tracks, turkey fresh turkey tracks, and they, they, they notice a two sets two sets of bare feet tracks in the sand, and this is chilly. You remember turkey season this year was chilly, and it was early turkey season, chilly outside. Bare, I've seen the picture. I've seen the picture bare, of the track. Barefooted, barefooted tracks. Push it hard, Brian. So. Little interruption. We're we're on location. We're filming from the cabin today. Cody's Cody's cabin, not my cabin. Yeah, yeah, my cabin, mine and Mikey's cabin and Boone's cabin. It's mostly Boone's cabin, if you ask him. But anyways, so they found some barefoot human tracks in the sand, uh, and so this one guy he wears a size thirteen boot. This track, he's got a picture of it to prove it. With his boot on, this barefoot track is bigger. Than his track with his boot on, and the pretty, sand pretty significantly bigger. Apparently, the sand was frozen, and he couldn't even really get his track to sink in. This track sank in a quarter of an inch. Yeah, I've seen and the then picture. there was a small set of tracks, like they assumed it was a male and female Sasquatch, <laughs> and they were going up the river. Yeah, he he. I saw him, um, the sports member that you're talking about. I talked to him when this I was, morning. When I was doing some management stuff um, and just happened to run into him, he was sitting, I mean, just having a big time. He's had a good time. Oh, yeah. He, I, We're going to have him I'm on the not, show. Not to, like, not to, like, pump up our own program or whatever, but that guy is fired up about the sports and program. We're going to have him on the show. Uh, we should. Anyways, uh, and he was out there just hanging out in the back of his truck before he went back after it. And he said, he turned to me and showed me the picture, and he's like, I think it's Bigfoot. 
And I kind of like <laughs> chuckled and looked at him, and he like he was not laughing. No, he wasn't like. Oh, he's serious. He wasn't like laughing about it. He's like, no, I'm serious. He's like, I don't. He's like, I don't. It's Bigfoot. He's like the thing to make a track in that sandbar must have weighed 500 pounds. And this this guy ain't no. He's no slouch of a man. I mean, he's no. I mean, he's a fairly good sized old boy. Yeah, you know, fit. I wouldn't want to fight him. No, no, nobody wants to fight him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks like a fighter. Yeah. Big guy, weightlifter, athlete mm-hmm. yeah. type fella. And, I mean, man says he's seen a Sasquatch track. He's seen one. That's <laughs> all <laughs> oh, I know. But anyways, so could possibly be. Yeah, if I were to expect to find a Sasquatch track, I would expect it to be at low water. But, in the Uoris. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. If Maybe they, they might. They travel the waterways. Maybe so. Um, but <laughs> what I was going to get at was if I would have caught, if it would have been me catching the naked, my, naked nest guy, I would have been like, what size boots you wearing? Oh, you don't have any. Well, what size would you have worn had you decided to wear shoes on this excursion? Today? Yeah, well, I think he's a fairly normal-sized guy, but maybe he had gigantic well, what, feet. Yeah, maybe he's got, like, a foot thing. Mm. I don't <laughs> Maybe, because I'm wondering if it's the same dude. Like, are there... Could be. Because, you know, what are the odds? Within That's within, that's within a quarter mile mm-hmm. of each other where those things happen. And the funny thing is... We're going to get off this pretty quick. But the other thing, <laughs> the funny thing is about these these tracks in the sand and the naked guy and all this stuff was a year or so prior to me being shown the pictures of this track, another guy who we both mutually know who helps us out with feral hogs when we're giving them away, he hunts and fishes on the river down through there all the time. He had pictures of tracks in February, barefooted, going up Second Creek. Hmm. Same size, huge foot, huge foot. Maybe it's maybe it's naked man. So he's. I wish. And I he wish also I'd... knows the sports member who was showing these pictures. They compared photographs. They're saying it's the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was there when this was happening. This was at our the dove hunt we went to. I hunted Monday with those guys. Huh. And they're like, oh, you don't believe this? Look, I've got the pictures of three years ago, and he's like, I've got the pictures from this spring, and we're looking at them and. Yeah, it's, it looks like the same track. Huh. Crazy. It is crazy. Moving on. Moving <laughs> on. That, uh, I didn't even anticipate that conversation at all, but I'm glad. Well, I actually forgot. I'm glad we went there. Well, I forgot about I forgot about all that. I did too. Um, but Dove hunting. Dove hunting. So, I'll be honest with you. I've lost my my fire for dove hunting that I had. A couple weeks ago. It always happens. It's not because I don't want to do it. It's just because there's not that many around anymore. And there's just not that many places to go now. Um, it's kind of been, all my places have kind of been shot up. Yeah, I, a few days before the hunt, I had taken a picture through some binoculars of the power line with the doves on it at the point prior to opener. And there were a whole lot of doves. I mean, in one section of power line, I had a photo with 75 doves on. It's on our Instagram page. If you f- happen to follow us or whatever, you can go look at it. But actually, it might have been a story. And I, I, I have no idea. Whatever. I, yeah, I know you don't know what that is. So, um, anyways, doesn't matter. We had a ton of birds, and opening day for us was really good, but I still think we had less than what was there originally, but we had that crazy cold front come in. So yeah. it's kind of a catch-22. It's pros and cons. It was one of the most enjoyable Weather-wise, opening days that I've ever experienced, yep. super cool 
overcast. Everybody was having a good time sitting out. You know, usually on opening day, you you know, it gets to be about 10 o'clock and you're thinking about going up to the barn and getting a drink and getting in some shade. But people were sitting pretty much all day long, which was awesome. Um, the birds are flying really well. Um, right there at the beginning of the hunt, it being overcast and all, they did not fly for like the first hour of legal shooting. But Cody and I were talking on the phone and basically saying the same thing, which is like, I can hear them cooing. Yeah, they were in the trees. In the pines. And we could hear them, but, you know, you started looking around the field and it looked like people were getting restless. And I couldn't see, so I I sat away from the dove field like I try to do every year, just to, I try to distance myself from everyone as much as possible. But Sam could see reactions on people's faces. And I didn't really want him to tell me what he was seeing, but I did want to know. I was like, what's the morale up there right now? He's like, well, people are. It's not people are milling about. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of eyes on the sky. It's not looking great. (laughs) And he's like, but I can hear them. I was like, dude, I'm telling you, I can hear them. And I was like, it's coming, Mm -hmm. it's coming. So what? About eight fifteen later, probably eight thirty, something like that. Maybe even later than that. Uh I don't know. It was late. But once it started, it was like a couple bang bangs, and then it was just solid shooting the rest of the day. Yeah, really was. Um, The rest of the day, we averaged it out. Just a guesstimation. How many hunters we have all together? I forget, 40-something. Yeah, low 40s. And it was averaging about six birds a person, even including the youth hunters that were there, which is pretty darn good Yeah, for 40-some folks. Um, actually, it was actually a little higher than six birds, but that's the conservative estimate. Um, I'm sure that – and there were multiple limits taken mm-hmm. that day. Um so it was a successful hunt. We had no issues that I was aware of. Yeah, the the only one that I saw, which I guess I'll say, um, nothing bad happened, but uh, right at legal shooting time, a wad of about eight ducks I'll see, came over see the top. That, yeah. And uh, a young fella just happened to do a little misidentification issue, which we've talked about before, and... Fortunately, they were very high, uh, but I was yelling ducks, and he couldn't hear me, and he took a crack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> took, a, took a pop. He took, he took a pop. Um, they were way too high for him to hit, fortunately, and uh, it was all smooth sailing from there. But, yeah, with the doves not flying early on and a pop taken at some – they weren't wood ducks either. They were big ducks. Uh, I, I was a little bit on edge there for the first <laughs> hour or so, but <laughs> – <laughs> After that, everything was was really good. So yeah, I had a good time. Other than the mosquitoes in the place that I sat, were Mikey and I sat in that standing corn in that other field. The mosquitoes were horrendous. Yeah. the on, The other thing was, you know, and it's again, like we said, I think we had less birds than we had prior a few days prior, just because of that cold push. And um, the second hunt that we had on the twelfth with. The, the continuation of that cold front and then the fact that we had had a heck of a hunt the Saturday before, it just wasn't what we, what we hoped um, and the standard that we try to, you know, we try to uphold. But, you know, people still did plenty of shooting and uh, got to pull the trigger some. And, I you know, I think one thing that I'm really thankful for this year and um, thankful for every year, but is obviously everybody was safe. And everybody um, came out, and nothing bad happened. Um, but this year, 
one thing that really pleased me was everybody was super uh, appreciative and was super thankful, even if they didn't have the most shooting. Um, they understood that we did the work, and that that means the world to us when people leave. It makes us feel good. You know, I think, you know, the days leading up to both of those hunts, we, we get pretty um, anxious and anxious because we want people to have a good time and we want the birds to be there. And that's something that birds being there is not something we can necessarily control. We've done everything we can, but um, for people to show their appreciation and and say, thank you uh, means a lot. It kind of takes that weight that's on your shoulders and and takes it off and lets you enjoy the time. And I got to walk around and talk to a bunch of really nice folks. And um, yeah, I got to meet some new folks and some familiar faces from hunts past as well. Some guys from, Asheville that said they heard about it from the podcast. I, if y'all are listening, I I enjoyed meeting you guys. We they, had a good time meeting yeah, you boys, sure and, and I'll tell you, they these guys showed up in a what you would refer to as that there Clark is an RV. Yeah. Now don't you go falling in love with her? She's leaving in a month when we do. I want to say the I want to say the line about the latrine, but well, this is you a, did you, you didn't do your idea. This so is a family show. To tell so you how classy we were going to make this dove hunt. <laughs> Sam had the idea that. Pre the dove hunt, we had a we have a, a porta john out there for folks that aren't interested in going in the woods, and you know just for convenience sake and cleanliness sake as well. And uh, Sam's like, I'm going to get a picture of cousin Eddie printed. Yeah, standing standing empty in the latrine, and then have it captioned with S H I blank blank E R is full, um, and stick it on the inside of the <laughs> porta john. But I don't know if Travis had been. Super stoked about that, but I didn't do it. But I, should, I thought about it. It may happen next year. But anyways, <laughs> these guys showed up in this RV, and man, they were a joy to be around. And I'm gonna be honest. Shout out to y'all because uh, one of you guys made my hunt the second day happen because I was getting no shooting whatsoever, and you decided to take your dog for a walk around the field, and just so happened that that pushed uh, several wads of birds right to me and Mikey. And it worked out well, very well for me. So I was pumped about that. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, and I guess just for for folks coming out next year, thinking about the dove hunt, we've obviously talked about a lot, but um, what we told a few people was we had spots available for that opening day hunt, and that's that's what we, you know. You, but you never know. You never know. That second hunt, sometimes we've had years where the second hunt was just as good, if not better, than the first last so. year the second hunt was mm-hmm. probably better yeah so it's just kind of one of those one of those things hit or miss but let's uh, uh what you what you cracking over there brian pepsi. getting you a pepsi i hear you what's uh hey mikey how are you yeah we got the whole just, game yeah just the whole gang's out here we're we're sitting out on the porch enjoying this is I'm the catching first, some rays catching on my back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is uh this is the first day of the year really where i've put on a heavy jacket it was like 45 degrees this morning. It was so nice, and I felt like I should have been sitting in I've there. had a fire every night this week. I feel like I should have been sitting in a deer stand this yeah, morning. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people were. I know. It would have been a good morning for it. So, you make it your business to ensure that your hard-earned dollars go where they should, to support your family, support your beliefs, and hopefully to support conservation. Well, over at F&M Bank, they've been assisting our community in doing just that for over a century. At F&M Bank, they make investing in our community their business. F&M Bank, member FDIC. Make sure they're sitting in the front porch here. 
Yeah. yeah well, much. we got we got deep into uh, naked circles and naked naked circles, naked nests. But yeah. anyways, let me jump in here. Actually, it's a weird place to jump in. What are y'all talking about? Yeah, you're just gonna have to listen All to the right. episode like I'll everybody else. Oh, I guess you don't know. But speaking of the dove hunt, I'm glad you are here now, Brian, because you said something funny at the dove hunt that I. Oh had. yeah, I've, oh my god. <laughs> so, speaking of things going wrong or not going wrong on the dove hunt, so at the end of the day, it's like the last few diehards are coming out of the field. Most people have packed it up. There's a few like super serious dove hunters that are left, getting every ounce of everything they can get out of it. And so those guys are there, and we're helping them. We've got the the gator, and we're helping them boys load their stuff up and haul it out for them because it's getting dark, you know, trying to help everybody get going. Mm-hmm. And so we pull up, and it's a it's a, a man and his young son, probably 10 years old-ish. Mm-hmm. And so we help them load stuff Speaking up. Speaking of, probably doesn't listen to the show, but super, super guy. Yeah, super nice. He's doing it right with his kids. Uh-huh. There's no doubt yeah. he's doing it right. uh uh-huh. So we help him load stuff up. And he's he's already this guy's already got, the grown man's already got a bunch. The dad he's already got a bunch of stuff on his back, planning on toting it. And we were like, well, we'll get the rest of and it. And when we yeah, when we were talking about what like the keys to a good dove hunt, we're like helping him carry out his gear, mm-hmm. you know, chatting him up and all that stuff. So and hopefully we did the hospital hospitality thing right. So we but. get the rest of his stuff loaded in the thing, and his the dad takes off, and the son's like, well, can I ride with him? And he's like, sure. And so. The dad gets going, and the kid hops in the front seat with me. Sam climbs around in the back, and I look at the of kid. Of the gator. This of is the, ga- the truck. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of, the, of the John Deere gator. And I look at the kid, and I look at Sam. I look at the kid, and I was like, you want to drive? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I do. And I was like, okay. So I we exchange seats, and I, I give him some brief instructions. Was he about 10? Uh, like if that. 10. Yeah. If 10. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was like, look, just drive that way. I'll uh-huh. tell you when to turn. Mash that the gas is on the right. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I've drove a golf cart before. So I'm thinking, okay, this kid can drive. Well, we're wheeling around through it. Things are going fine. Things are going just fine until we make the turn onto the road to come down the hill. And there's a bank, like a a bank that could flip a John Deere Gator over no problem if you hit it the right Mm -hmm. way. And he is, I guess he forgot that the gas, it's not a golf cart. So when you let off the gas, doesn't mean it's going to slow up. Mm -hmm. You got to give a little break, break action. Well, he was just giving it more gas and more gas. And I he he winds up like forgetting to steer and I have to reach over and grab the wheel and jerk it so we don't uh so we don't roll the gator basically. Yeah. And Sam's like, The brakes on the right, son. The brakes on the right. He's <laughs> like oh, on the left. Yeah. Oh yeah, the brakes on the left. Brakes on the left. Uh-huh. And uh so he's like, Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I was like, You good? <laughs> he, got back, he got it back under control. <laughs> under, yeah. I was like, You good? And he's like, Yeah, I was like, Don't want your dad seeing that. Yeah, it got a little bit hairy there for a second. <laughs> yeah, just there was, a, there was a split second there where Sam and I both thought, Well, this is where we're going to get hurt. Yeah, and, and fired. <laughs> and fired. And <laughs> maybe this guy's son's going to get injured because of us. <laughs> but it all worked out fine. Everybody's safe. I was like, Pull over there in your dad's vehicle. We'll go ahead and load it up for him. Uh-huh. So we're loading stuff up, and Brian happens to be standing there as we pop out. And Brian's like, he's like talking to the, the, the young man. He's like, he's like, oh, you got to drive the Gator? That's so cool. And the kid's like, yeah, tell him all about it. And Brian, in all dead seriousness, Brian looks at the kid, face, long-faced, says, huh, well, that's real cool. They don't even let me drive the Gator. And just walks <laughs> off. I did, I did say that. And I almost cried. I was laughing so hard. He's like, they don't even let me drive the Gator. Still haven't let me drive the Gator. <laughs> Still have not. 
when we get done with this podcast, I'll let you take a lap, Brian. Maybe. Right. <laughs> Don't run into that. Don't run into that bank. <laughs> but no, you said that. Breaks on the left, Brian. Sam and I got a laugh out of that. We've been meaning to bring that up to you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was funny. I don't mean to jump in late and just ask, but what, what have you all covered so far? Um, we've caught. We've covered naked nests. We've covered sasquatches. Sasquatches. Squatters. Squatters. And cooking, cooking on the biolite stove and backcountry and beyond. And now we're about to get into what I want to get into, which is TSI. So tomorrow, well, I guess first thing to say is we acquired a new property, which is pretty cool. Um, it adjoins our low water bridge piece, and it's going to be a place that, out since you've been out there and been working on it the last week, how about you talk about it and then I'll fill in? Because I was today. This morning before we got to your house was the first time that I've really, oh really, been know. in there. You know, I've been all around it, sure. but gone in there. Well, I guess um, for brevity's sake, this property was an important conservation acquisition because it was already divvied up into multiple parcels, lots that were scheduled for development, which would have been development right next to all this acreage that we've worked so hard to conserve along the Uwari River. And manage. Yeah. And manage. And it would have been a, 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 a kind of a real shot to the gut had that have happened. It would have been a great place for a bunch of folks to have houses because they would have had all that managed nice land backing up their property, which would have made theirs much more valuable, but it would have devalued the conservation value so much on our property that it's really a good snag that we were able to get this property. But what's neat about it is it's it's small, it's only 12, 12-ish acres, but um, it's got a little bit of infrastructure on it that we don't, we didn't have in Montgomery County. It's got a, uh, I mean, I wouldn't call it a cabin, but it's like a little shanty. Like a bunkhouse, yeah. bunkhouse situation that's actually pretty well built. It's opinion. nice, yeah. It's actually like I would feel real comfortable sleeping in there. Yeah, and sure. that's what they used it for. The folks that had it, it was kind of their hangout spot slash camping slash hunting spot, I guess, and. So anyways, it's got that on it. It's got a, a barn, a little shed type deal. But it had, because it had that infrastructure on it, and it's probably had some sort of infrastructure on it for a long time, it had 80 years of trash in the woods. I mean, I guess in the 60s, people just didn't give a crap, man. I, I really don't know what to say other than we we had to rent a skid steer and a big construction style dumpster just to deal with the amount of garbage i watched um a few episodes or a few seasons of oh gosh what's the don draper show what's that mad men mad men thank you brian um play play the little intro song to mad men if you can (laughs) snag that I i can totally do that Yeah, put that right there. Um, and I liked the hist. I wasn't super into the show, but I liked like the historical context. And once there's not really many things that stand out from the show to me, but there's one thing that really stood out from the show to me, which was they went on like a picnic. Uh-huh. Him and his and family chunk their stuff in the. And, oh yeah, so they have like all their food and stuff on the blanket. And when they all get up and like let's go home, he just grabs the corners of the blanket. And gives it like a flip, you know, and, and all that, the trash goes everywhere, and then they just pack it up and, and go. I feel like that's exactly what happened. And that's like the historical accuracy of the show was 
pretty spot on all the way through. So that kind of must be historically accurate. I behavior. think it's pretty correct. And here's why I'm pegging the six. If you're if you're a flower child, I'm sorry, but here's why I'm pegging the '60s. I got solid proof. So first, if you want like literal actual proof, I, I dug up from the bottom of this pile. And when I say pile, I mean, you didn't, so you saw it after it's all leveled out and clean. Mm-hmm. I had a 10 foot pit behind mm-hmm. that cabin that I dug with that skid steer. Mm-hmm. That was nothing but trash. Mm-hmm. Aluminum cans, bottles, glass bottles, trash. But in the bottom of the pile, I dig up two license plates from 1966 mm. and their corresponding digits. Like it's like the dude bought a car. And then bought another car mm-hmm. and tagged them both back to back. So they're like one digit off from each other. Super cool. So I kept those. But just the amount of garbage was insatiable. And maybe some of it was worth something. And if you write in and say, oh, this was like a million dollar Coke bottle, I'm going to be going back through that dumpster. But there were one liter glass Coke bottles, one liter glass Coke bottles. And whoever like deposited all this garbage was a Coke person. Never seen. I've never seen that amount of you Coke. You picked up all those Cokes, but I went out after waiting this morning um, doing what I was doing. I picked up a bunch of Coke bottles, too. I drank a bunch. Just a lot of Coke. And a lot of beer. There was a lot of I beer. I like some beer, too. A lot of beer, but a lot of Coke. And and uh, and not. we're not talking about the devil's dandruff. We're talking about Coca-Cola yeah. here. <laughs> but um, anyways... Um, also, the neat one of the neat I haven't told you about this. The other neat thing I found it was like a so imagine a, a drink can soda can, aluminum soda can beer can whatever, uh-huh. but it had a glass like beer bottle neck coming out of the top of it. Oh, that's never cool. seen that before. Uh, me neither. And it was a uh, orange juice that somebody had gotten from like a convenience store back in the sixties. That is weird. That's weird. Yeah, yeah I thought it was weird. weird too. I almost kept it, but I was like, nah, it's garbage. <laughs> it's been here for so. Anyways, we filled years. up a six yard dumpster with. Basically, it's basically a time machine dumpster of yeah. stuff from the 60s. Which, you know, it's not what we'd prefer to be doing. Um, but this is kind of the dirty side of land conservation when you get a new piece. Now, the stuff that we're excited about doing is on a property, the Low Water Bridge property, which is adjacent to this piece that we just acquired, Um which was, you know, that piece that Cody was just talking about is 12 acres, but it adjoins. What makes it great for us is, one, it has the infrastructure. Um, it protects, you know, a, it buffers the property that we've done so much work on ahead of time. And then that 12 acres makes adds to our 1,500 acres that we mm-hmm. already have there, which is great. And um, on the same side of the road, on the same side of the river, we're doing TSI work, which we've been doing for a while, which is... Oh, hold on, it's, man. Yeah, well, go before ahead. we get into TSI, while we're on the note of garbage, before we leave this topic, mm-hmm. something that I thought really hard on for the five days I was sitting on a skid steer, scooping up garbage mm-hmm. that wasn't my garbage. Mm-hmm. I think, and you can write in if you disagree. I really, really doesn't won't hurt my feelings. Capital punishment should be on the legislative ballot <laughs> for littering. The first person that gets lethal injection for throwing a drink can out the window of their car, that will make folks think twice about chunking it. It would make them think twice. Yeah, I think so. But uh, I don't think the punishment matches the crime. Well, I don't know. 
You're murdering That's a the, little. You're murdering the earth when you throw out trash. <laughs> it's a little bit steep. It's like I mean, maybe make it, maybe make it like a more severe slap on the wrist. And I don't a, think, as a hunter, <laughs> as a hunter and a fisherman who likes to consume things out of the woods, I feel like it's like shitting in the grocery store. Yeah. So I feel blank that part out. <laughs> But they can seriously go back and blank that out. But yeah. you, you, I know get, how you feel. Like yeah. that's like me going to aisle twelve, where you like to get your produce, yeah, and just drop and trial. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's what it is. That's I know you way. hate it. I hate it too. I mean, I think what makes us hate it even more is that on that road for the last on since that road on since that road since we started that. working at the land trust, uh, we go out four times a year and pick up garbage. Four times a year. And we fill up bags and bags of garbage, and it's just constant picking up other people's trash. And I've grown real cynical about pick, picking up other people's trash on our property. Um, and just in general, seeing it makes me frustrated and really pissed off. But I don't think you should kill somebody. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll agree to disagree. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Um, but seriously, if you've got like a suggestion on like how we can get a handle on North Carolina's cleanliness towards the outdoors and the environment. I think 100%, I think the punishment should be anytime somebody gets caught littering, which maybe, I don't know the punishment. Oh, I'm I don't sure know what it, it is. If you get caught and you go to court, the judge is going to put you in community service picking up trash. Yeah, that's how it should be. I think, I that's, think that's a slap on the wrist. I think you should have to eat trash <laughs> or something. Like It's like something you're like not going to be able to physically yeah. handle. Either Either go to jail for a month. Or, or eat 10 pounds of gold. <laughs> <laughs> or you have to go out and the judge gets to pick out the piece of, you know, the empty... The or dirty the bo- diaper. The, bo- no. the dirty diaper. <laughs> I was going to say, like, the bottle sitting there with, like, a mix of whatever beer and you gotta drink was it. left in there, plus the dirt and rainwater and stuff that have mixed in, and be like, drink that. Hey, I'm cool with it. Yeah. When they used to catch kids dipping in high school, uh-huh. they would uh, they would make them drink their, their spittoon. Oh, so... That's the same kind of punishment there. Yeah. Same crime. Yeah. Not the same crime. Both would, both would probably crime. make you throw up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think someone should be puking over litter. Yeah. I'm puking over it. Yeah. Now. Makes, makes me sick. <laughs> makes me That's a good title, too. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Back to TSI. Except, okay. Do you want me to, you want me to go yeah, in? Yeah. Define I'll, TSI. You period. actually, yeah. actually, what I want you to do is talk about the Audubon Society and how they're associated with it. Yeah. Um. And then I'll give you my definition, then you tell me where I'm right and wrong. <clears throat> okay. That sounds like a good strategy. Um, so first off, when you get your if you're if you're not a member of the land trust, the Three Rivers Land Trust, shame on you. If you are a member, then you're gonna be getting your uh newsletter, our magazine, here pretty soon. It, the staff has been diligently knocking this thing out. It's a it's gonna be a heck of a magazine. I don't know what it says this year about previous years i always write articles and then they were divvying out responsibilities of who like who should write articles this year and i wasn't on any of them you didn't get asked to write nothing uh-uh. no not even a recipe huh not even a recipe i think that's well, I like mean, i said that, it's gonna be I a look, heck like, of a magazine yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, that, that's hint hint taken no um, that was not my like call. kind of like kind of like cody's uh Kind of yeah. like Cody's trip. So you like, so, okay, so we get it. <laughs> so you want to go on Sam's fishing trips, but you don't want to read anything he writes. Yeah. So uh, yeah. We get it. Yeah. Which, and you want to read what I write, but you don't want to go hang out with me. Cool. Yeah. Okay. 
So, so that I'm, makes me like the fun guy to be around who's like never going to move out the, of town. What am I, the intellect? And you're like the nerd. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the nerd. That's cool. I'm, I'll accept that. Sure. I'm the woods nerd. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> Woods nerd's a pretty cool title. I'm, I get nerdy about the woods. Yeah, uh, me too. But this magazine, I told you that. We were sidetracking it. I told you that to tell you that in this, in this uh, magazine, I wrote a couple articles. And one of them is about what we're about to talk about. One of them is about Audubon and yeah. this program. So Audubon Society, you may or may not be familiar, they're about the birds, right? Mm. Um, you know, you've seen the Audubon field gods, the old Audubon paintings um, when he was going around, like, identifying and naming North American, well, birds all over, not just North America. Um, he was going around, like, naming birds pretty much. Yeah, and, like, floating the Mississippi River Delta shooting. Yeah, ex- yeah, a little bit on that. Yeah, say that. Yeah, I mean, he was like, you know, taking these extraordinary trips, but the whole thing about it was like any painting that you see, Audubon painting, which are you know, just treasures, uh, American artifacts, and just a, I got a history, couple in my house. The history of our nation, yeah, really. And for a naturalist, it's they're the kind of a cornerstone of nature in America. But um, every painting that you see is not like from his memory drawn he was floating down and looking for new species that he'd never identified before and then shooting them and then hanging them up like had wire like a taxi that's why the the paintings look kind of unnatural Uh positions yeah because he had he would carry wire kind of like a taxidermy and then wire it up like he think like he thought they would fly uh, and kind of how we saw him on that brief encounter like every picture every painting that you've seen of his it's like that bird, when he shot it, was either the first time or one of the first few times he had ever Or seen, anyone had really ever yeah, thought about it. Had ever seen that. So, like, if you were to paint a dove now, or we were to try to paint or draw a dove now, like, we know how a dove flies. Like, you know, but he's only seen these animals fly a few times, so they, they kind of look a little bit, like you said, unnatural yeah. and yep. stuff. But yep. he was posing them. He was posing them up in the way that he thought that was, that's you a, know, that's, I'm glad we in that, that. Isn't that unique? Yeah, and he's considered, uh, you know, a world-renowned for his contributions to wildlife and conservation, but the dude was a straight killer Yeah, when it come to taking down birds. Mm -hmm. I admire that. Mm -hmm. I I admire everything about it. But what I admire the most is the fact of what he did, which wildlife... uh, Yeah, the legacy. The management, any management, wildlife, natural resources management, begins with identifying species that you're managing for. Without Audubon... You know how far behind would we have been on on these birds? So, anyways, Audubon Society is kind of a tribute to Audubon and his legacy with birds. But they do a lot more than they don't. They don't go around <laughs> floating the river, knocking down birds, and posing them up for paintings anymore. What they do now is more along the lines of conservation work and cost share incentive programs and outreach and education. And they partnered with uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They have a program called Partners for Fish and Wildlife that any eligible landowner can enroll in, which is exactly what Three Rivers Land Trust did. Being a private landowner, we enroll in cost-share incentive programs across the board for various management activities that we would like to do that will benefit the wildlife that use these properties. The Low Water Bridge property that we've been talking about this whole time 
has uh, specific characteristics that are in decline in the southeast as far as a hardwood forest goes. And therefore, Audubon, once we talked to them, they were certainly interested in pursuing a cost-share incentive program on this property so that we could do a few things that they think would benefit certain species in decline specifically. Um, And in this case, it's the Forest Land Bird Legacy Program, and it would be benefiting uh, forest birds. Neotropical. Neotropical forest-dwelling migrants. And so when we're talking about TSI, we're talking about timber stand improvement, and this project was funded through the Audubon Society Partners for Fish and Wildlife with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. It was funded through this program. So if you own tracts of land, they don't necessarily have to be large or huge, but if you own a tract of land and you're interested in doing more for your neotropical migrants, and in return you're also going to be doing stuff that's going to create habitat for your game animals that's if you a like great, to hunt. That's a great point. I was gl- I'm glad you said that because that's what I was going to say next. Um, it's like what you've talked about plenty of times on the show with some of our other properties, like the point property, the things that we're doing for doves mm-hmm. benefit far more than doves, you mm-hmm. know, planting of buckwheat, um, you know, managing for those small species or managing for neotropical birds or managing for pollinators. And in many turns benefits a lot more critters than yeah. you, than you are managing, you know, that simple thing, you know, it's, it, it goes across the board. Uh, and I think this TSI work does the, yeah, the exact same thing. Sam and I have been very, very happy with our outcome on this TSI work, which we're going to get into a little bit. But, you know, it's like Sam said, it's benefiting a bunch more species than just your neotropical migrants. So if you're a landowner and you're thinking, man, what can I do for, for wildlife on my property? It'd be great to reach out to Partners for Fish and Wildlife. And if you, if you need contact information, feel free to get a hold of me. I'll help you link up with the right people. But, you know, it's a great cost share. You're not going to make money on this program, but you're not going to lose a whole bunch either. And you're going to, but you're going to have some sweat equity in it. You're going to have, you know, some coordination in it. You're going to have some cooperation in it, but you know, you're going to be benefiting your property and the wildlife greatly. So that's what we're doing. And luckily the interesting, go ahead. Yeah. When we're go, when we're talking about low water bridge in particular, um, we had an interesting discussion when I was kind of learning about all this stuff um, where we talked about, the kind of how human manipulation and how human beings and the and the kind of detriment that we've done in our region um, has altered our landscape to a degree that we must interfere basically now to manage the property because we've done so much in the past that's kind of irreparable in many ways. So as you're moving forward, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that and the timbering uh, and what timber they were taking off the landscape back in the early nineteen hundred, you know, early nineteen okay. hundreds yeah. and stuff, and how, how um, you, th- you know, the work that we're doing now is kind of remediation for past grievances that we've done on the landscape yep. that people don't really, th- you know, you, it's what is it that shifting baseline where you don't really know what the landscape was before, and you think what you see now when you see a pristine area, which you perceive as a pristine area nice mature hardwood forest isn't what it actually was before and there's actually you know things that have happened in the past that have altered this landscape human intervention human intervention 100 percent yeah yeah and that so when you if you're a private landowner and you go to enroll you're going to have an expert come out and they're going to be able to help you make decisions on what practices would fit your property this may not be one this may be one um for us this was one that we 
we were interested in and kind of brought to them. Um, fortunately for Three Rivers Land Trust, they've got we've got a whole big group of wildlife staff that that's that's what we do. So we were able to kind of cater our ideas to Audubon and and partners, and they were able to agree or disagree on what they wanted to do. Ultimately, we had you know this this thing worked out with you know half a dozen wildlife professionals that this is what we're going to do. So talking about human intervention and why we picked TSI, so timber stand improvement on this piece of property. The uh, Sam was talking a little. Almost called you Travis. Sorry, mm. um, Sam was talking a little bit about. Uh, you know the high grading that happened, and what yeah, is that? You, I'm glad what you brought that, that up. What does that mean? That means that turn of the century, when loggers were able to get it, access this area, um, it was kind of uncharted territory for timber revenue, and the country's growing. We need a lot of timber, and so what did they do? They did not really have the foresight at that time to manage for sustainable forests. Sustainable forestry was not a word, much like social distancing wasn't really a word before last year or before March. Sustainable forestry wasn't a word until the 70s. Okay, so what did they do? They went and picked the very best, the very best trees in the forest, and those are the ones they cut. Whereas nowadays, we kind of pick the worst and let our best trees go on to produce more trees mm-hmm. and you know a better genotype mm-hmm. you know it's almost like specific like you breed an animal uh, a dog for example it's mm-hmm. like pure breeding mm-hmm. um so you get the best of the best of the best and it's also keeping that forest at a healthy age point by having the trees that are reproducing continue to reproduce and you so you've got that sustainable renewable resource so they took out the very best trees and that's what high grading is that's high grading and they left the worst trees right taking out the highest grade mm-hmm. yeah self-explanatory mm-hmm. trees so what happens what happens is you get you're left with subpar subpar forest product that can outcompete the really desirable high-end trees so you're left. Coincidentally, there's a there's a relationship between high grade trees for and growth. Commer- rate. Yeah, for you know human beings and for um, development, and also high the, the high grade in that case aligns with mass producing and forage providing trees in many cases for critters on our landscape, mm-hmm. which is another detrimental you know another detrimental aspect of high grade is that it made kind of a barren monoculture uh, without much forage opportunity for our local and native wildlife. The, the most valuable wood that is also the most valuable wildlife tree takes the longest to grow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that should make good sense. And so an example would be black walnut. So it's an extremely valuable wood for, for the furniture industry, for, you know, all kinds of woodworking projects, baseball bat, everything. Black walnut, super slow growing tree, easily outcompeted by other trees, the fast growing trees. So the tighter those growth rings are are packed in, the slower it grows. Then you you cut down a black walnut, and it's like ring after ring after ring. Mm-hmm. You cut down a sweet gum that's the same size diameter. There'll be an inch, mm-hmm. two inches in between yeah. growth rings. It's putting mm-hmm. on that much growth each year, and so it's outcompeting those really good trees. Now I'm just using black walnut for an example. I'm not saying that's what's on this property or that's the goal. That's just an example of mm-hmm. slow growing hardwood. Yeah. Oaks. Um, 
oaks. A big white oak would be yep. another tree. Yep, exactly. Hickories. Mm-hmm. Um, so you think about that, and then you think about, well, if they took out all those slow-growing trees and they left the really junky ones that can grow really fast, what mm-hmm. happens? You're left with a forest full of junky, fast-growing trees. And then even in the open even in the open areas where you have sunlight penetration to the forest floor, what's going to come up, which is beneficial in some cases. We talk about, you know, the importance of cutover in a lot of ways. But what's going to come up is those fast-growing trees, which are going to out-compete or outgrow your beneficial trees. And then for 100 years, you're going to have a kind of crappy Forest. Yeah, that's going to be a while. marginal for wildlife as well as economics. However, at some point, those fast-growing trees are going to die out, and there will have been slow-growing trees in the understory, and it will transition yeah, back. Yeah, the tortoise and the hare. Tortoise and the hare story. But, but if you've done high-grade timber all over the landscape and have not left those stands of mass-producing and beneficial and high-grade timber in certain areas – then you've got a monoculture of crappy forest all over the area without forage opportunity for the critters that, you know, rely on yep. high-grade timber, high-grade trees. My dad would like to say saving some for seed. Saving some for seed, that's right. But to the untrained eye, you may look at a forest and say, well, that's really nice. That's a really nice patch of woods. But then you get into looking at it and you start identifying species. And you're like, well, this is sweet gum. This is red maple. This is ironwood. This is hop horn beam. And it's really not that good. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, it's they're native trees, sure. But are they the number one tree for wildlife? And sh- were they naturally there to begin with? There were probably there were a few, sure. That's how the few that are there now multiplied into many. But were they the main cover type? Absolutely not. No way. And ironically... Um, on this same exact property, just to kind of talk about how intricate and kind of weird this whole system is, we did a logging job on some loblolly pines and have decided that on a large portion of that, we're going to let the sweet gums and the, the early successional trees come up because there is benefit to that as well. You know, it's a monoculture of anything is bad, um, even if it's high-grade timber. A monoculture of high-grade timber without early successional growth and cover and stuff is not good either because there's, there is important aspects of having that kind of thick cover as well. So Cody always says, you know, when talking about land management, that a mosaic of different cover types and different uh, levels of <clears throat> succession on the landscape is key to having healthy wildlife. So um, it's pretty intricate, obviously. Yeah, it makes and every time you have a changeover in cover type, you got to change an edge. So we talk about that on here all the time. So ed, more edge is better. Lots of species thrive on it. But in this particular case, so we're going in, and we are selecting undesirables. And when I say undesirables, I don't necessarily mean non-native. In some cases, I do. We'll we'll hack down a you know a privet if we see it. We're going in. We're taking down trees that are less than less than three four inches many times in in diameter. Um, sometimes bigger if we're really looking to get a big canopy gap going. But we're taking these trees, we're cutting them off at the stump, felling them over. That's going to do one thing. That's going to open up a big old hole in the canopy for sunlight to penetrate and make other things grow. So another thing it's going to do is it's going to put all that green growth down on the ground at ground level, those leaves. 
it's going to put that down at ground level right at the time that we're coming into the beginning of a stress period. So once the acorn crop dries up this fall, wildlife are going to be in a bit of a stress period. This is going to provide some, you know, kind of last-minute forage opportunity in the form of buds, in the form of leaves, in the form of cover. It's going to provide something that wasn't there before. So it's, it's this little minor alteration. But then we're going along right after we cut it, and we're squirting this stump with just, you know, just a dab of some concentrated chemical that's going to make sure that it doesn't stump sprout back because all these species are really adapted to fighting anything off and, and coming back. And they're like Terminator. You know, they got a gazillion lives, and they can just keep coming back, coming back, coming back. So we're making sure that that doesn't happen. Um, and what we're doing is we're creating these openings that when we're going through and selecting these trees out, we're looking for the good species. We're looking for the white oaks. We're looking for the red oaks. We're looking for the hickories. We're looking for the hollies. And we're taking out some hollies too because too much hollies you know, can be a thing also. But we're looking for those trees, and we're releasing those trees. We're looking for grapevines, muscadines. And when we find you know, soft mast forage or, or mast-producing trees, mast, M-A-S-T, when we find that stuff, you know, we're trying to release that and let it get more sunlight. You know, it's just like your garden. You know, if somebody throws a piece of tin over top of your garden, it's not going to grow. But if you come by and slide that piece of tin back, you're kind of releasing it and, you know, letting it breathe to the sun. So that's what we're doing. And uh, that's our version of timber stand improvement on this property. And it's really easy to talk about and say, but the the labor involved is uh, much more than, than what we're saying here. Like, it's you're bent over all day. With a chainsaw, usually we run. Usually Sam will run the saw half a day, and then I'll run the saw half a day, or vice versa. And the other guy's got the sprayer on, just following him around, making sure nothing falls on his head for one, and for two, just squirting all the stumps. And we've got we've treated seven-ish acres. We've got 15 acres to do. Um, we're going to try to finish it up this coming week, and it's going to provide a whole lot. And then what's Audubon and Partners for Fish and Wildlife got to do with that? They're funding, they fund the chemical purchase, they fund some of our time. Obviously, they're, they're not funding the full thing. It's a cost share, not we're going to consume the cost. It's, it's a sharing thing. So we're providing, you know, labor and cost as well. But, you know. Yeah, in many ways, it's cheaper than doing it for free. Yeah, in many ways, it's um, similar to the trust fund organizations or trust fund government agencies that we do a lot of conservation easements with, which shows that the state and the feds care about conservation um, and are willing to put money into it, which shows that they see value in it. So they're, they're funding, obviously through this program, they're funding land management um, through some of the trust funds like the ADFP um, or CWMTF that we work with a lot. They're funding acquisition of conservation easements. And it's all because the state and the feds realize that these resources are important. They don't make more of them. Yeah, they don't sure. make more of them, for sure. Um, but, yeah, that's that's kind of what's going on this week, TSI-wise. Did I leave anything out, Sam, that you wanted to cover? Um, it's, it's some sweat equity. I don't think anyone, even on staff, appreciates it like Sam and I do just because we're, we're doing it. We're, we're in it. And... Uh, when you get done and you look at the difference from when you started that morning to the end of the day, it's like, holy, we really did yeah, something. Yeah, if you, if you are a land trust member and you get the magazine, you put in a picture in the magazine of the TSI work 
from this same location from last year that we did that we're mm-hmm. that we're tying into this year. And the cool thing about the photo is it's a panorama photo of um, the same patch of woods, but on w- one line there's like a, like a line right down the middle of where the TSI work began and where it stops. And the sunlight penetration to the forest floor, like Cody was saying, makes it look like a night and day photo. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. You know, and uh, I'm I've been really pleased with the release. I've gone back every single every single time I drive down Low Water Bridge Road, I look sure. at that section so and look at the you know look at the growth of the desirable trees that we've released, and it makes me feel good. And the understory forbs that are mm-hmm. popping up, in the, we're getting mm-hmm. some neat ferns in there that we didn't have before. And if you're a sportsman member, you know. It wouldn't be a bad idea to key in on that block, especially after we've been in there working and you're looking to put in your wintertime picks. Block three. It would not be a bad call for your wintertime picks to key in on that kind of work. Just mm-hmm. saying. But there is edge on block three, block one, block two. Um, there's plenty of edge. That That is just that is a good spot on Block 3. But yeah. that low water bridge, all low water bridge is good in my opinion. Full disclosure, I did kill a deer there last year. Mm-hmm. Two deer, three deer. Killed three deer. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> three deer. Um, one pretty nice buck. So, yeah. It, They're it, still around. So, like I said, it benefits more than just the neotropical migrant. <laughs> it benefits the deer hunter as well. <laughs> and the deer. Obviously, yeah. they were there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, what's left, man? Do we need to, we, uh, uh, you said something about edge and I'll talk briefly before we close it down about my weekend. Cause I think it ties into that. I went red fishing. Um, and I don't know anything about saltwater fishing. I didn't grow up doing it really, but when you get an invitation, uh, yeah. you got to take people up on it and, and learn something new. It was, um, really fun. And I got to go with my, one of my hunting mentors and a friend of myself and my, my father and uh, my good buddy Walker, who's like my brother, and we went down there, and they know a lot more, so it's good to learn from people. It's kind of that uncomfortable feeling of being the most exper- inexperienced person in the group, which I don't like being. Um, but no, also, no, nobody wants to be. Yeah, nobody, exactly. Yeah, uh, Nobody sure. wants to be that person, but at the end of the day, how do you not become that person unless you're the, you're always going to be that person one time, and we've done so many youth hunts and women hunts and new hunter events and things like that. Um, new hiking events, new paddlers that I've realized that the best way to be about it is to sit and listen and don't act like you know everything and just try to learn. And the people who know what they're doing don't mind teaching you as long as you're willing to learn and you're coachable and stuff. So one thing I learned um, which I, you know, I could have known this from the beginning, and I think I did know this just based off of prior experiences and time spent in the outdoors. But redfish like edge, just like mm-hmm. anything else, and we ended up putting anchoring down on the edge of a canal. I won't say where, because I just like everybody else. These guys are <laughs> like, don't even say where we were, um, and I won't. But follow me. We were on the edge of a canal. And it was a steep drop-off, and we plopped down right where, you know, the depth made a significant change and laid into them pretty good. So awesome. So edge works even for saltwater fish. It works for trout 100%. It works for um, deer, turkeys, really everything. 
So. Everything likes a little edge. You like edge. You there's a reason you chose your house, the cabin we're sitting at right here. Yep. You're close to town, close enough that you don't have to drive far away, but you're out on the edge of wilderness as well. I like edge. My cabin's on edge. <laughs> you should put that up in a sign. Yeah. Hang it. My cabin's on edge. Yeah. <laughs> Hang that over the door. They don't sell that at Hobby Lobby. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I like that. Just keep up with that. Mm-hmm. Um, what were we talking about? You were talking about edge and stuff. Um, all right. So I'm going to – couple things. So we got a guest coming on next week. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he's still locked in, mm-hmm. which will be good. We're going to talk about – we're going to talk about entrepreneurship – we're going to talk about products. We're going to talk about outdoor gear industry, outdoor gear industry, and everything that goes along with it. So quality that, products. I think sure. it's something that our listener, obviously, I don't know what you want to hear. Apparently, it's a lot of stuff about trout fishing, but I feel like Good you guys you. would be interested in hearing hearing what he has to say. Have you all had occasion to blast out the conservation classic information? That's what we need to talk about. So we actually were this. Brian, you go ahead. You're you're the one that's on the membership and outreach team. If you've got the dates and everything lined up. We were this close to recording at Hyatt's today. Mm. I just didn't want to drive down there. Mm -hmm. So, Brian. Yeah. Give us us the uh, Conservation Classic. Give us us the skinny. Give us the skinny. If y'all are looking for an opportunity to get out, enjoy some friendly competition, shoot some clays, October 2nd, we're holding our fourth annual. Is that right? Fourth annual? Yeah, it's been going on a long time. Conservation Classic at Hyatt's Hyatt Farms Shooting Clays in Polkton, North Carolina. Visit our website for more details. Two flights. Two flights. $400 per team of four. When's the second flight? 2 p.m. 2 p.m. So 10 10 and 2. Okay, gotcha. There's going to be 14 stations, 50 clays per person. Ammo provided. Ammo provided. Lunch provided. Jordan's Catering. Jordan's Catering. Which is excellent. The choice of fried chicken or pulled pork. I've been told it's fantastic. Let me tell you, I've eat, I've eat, I've eat this catering job before. Yeah, it'll be just fine. Raffle items, silent auction items, some cool stuff on on the docket for that. This is our fourth year doing it. Um, so it's, I mean, it's one like the dove hunt. It's like you know, a well-old like, machine. Yeah, like we were saying with the dove hunt on our dove episode. When you get to year four, you know what you're doing. Yeah. At that point, so it it does run really yeah, well. You're not gonna show up to this and be like, they didn't really plan this out that well. Mm-hmm. You're gonna show up and be like. I'm having a dang fine time. I'm super comfortable and socially distanced. I do not feel the threat of anything but a good time coming on. You're going to say, I love sporting clays. I love conservation. I love the Piedmont. And I love Three Rivers Land Trust. And the Sand Hills. I love the Sand Hills, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful venue. And I'm telling you what, with, with uh, the way things have gone this year, with us having to cancel events like this, this is going to go a long way. If you want to support us, this is going to go a long way in helping us kind of make up for some of those operational dollars we missed on some of our bigger events. We'd love to have you out there. Oh, Brian, I, that's perfect. That was a good pitch. So Brian just said it. The Conservation Classic is going to be one of these events that kind of make or break Three Rivers Land Trust due to the year of non-events nationwide, worldwide. Nonprofits are in a struggle. So you should certainly show up and support with a four man team at 400 bucks and shoot around the clays with lunch provided safely and ammunition. Why would you not show up if you're a shooter? I think that's odd. Other, the only thing, the only excuse I can take is if it's because it's on a Friday 
and you're like, well, I, there's no way I can get off work. That's an excuse I can take. But what you can do instead of that is you just send a check. Just sit down and write a check. And you know what? You can say it's because of the podcast or not. That's cool. Or you can be like, it's a check that... Uh, or, or it could be your company's like charitable giving event. And you go out and you're being philanthropic on company time and doing some doing some giving. Yeah, and doing a little bit of taking, having a little bit of fun. And I'll tell you what Sam and I have done. So Sam and I just not because, and this is not a bragging thing, and I feel like if you even say it, it's like not as, not as nice. But I'm going to say it anyway. Sam and I, we've, we have not really stopped eating out. Once that the ban was lifted where you could go back out to eat, I mean, we'll still go out to eat a couple times a week, you know, for lunch, whatever. Mm. When we go out to eat, like I find myself leaving a larger tip now than I did pre-COVID. Why is that? It's because I get it that the restaurant industry is struggling right now. And I like eating out. And I like those folks being nice to me and filling up my sweet tea and bringing me a basket of fries. It's an enjoyable experience for me. And so I want those people to stay in business and be local. And then in the same turn, I want them to support my organization and like local foods and like local farming and conserve local and hopefully stroke a check to me. And it's all the circle of life. So that's what we're talking about now is the circle of life and you getting on board with conservation and helping out a land trust during a weird and kind of awful year. And uh, somebody go with Cody on this, on this hunting trip. If You know what? If you don't, it's not going to really affect me that much. But it is going to affect how we talk about things on this podcast. <laughs> That's a fact. What I'm excited to be going fishing with, with somebody, whoever it is that that, uh, that goes with me. And um, I'm just I'm stoked that I got a bid, and um, and we're going to go yes. fishing. You, and I'll tell you if, you, if you really want to bid it up, you should bid up Sam's trip because this should tell you the fact that there is a bidding war happening over Sam's fly fishing trip should tell you the category of trip you're going to get here. Oh, it'll be fun. It's going to be fun. No matter what, we're going to see some pretty country and we'll catch some fish. So, I, th- I think I scared people off when I said, when I was brutally honest about how hard of a hunt my deal is. I think, oh. I, I, think I scared off some folk. I think you'll get somebody. Yeah, that's okay. Anyways, thank y'all for listening. Um, I feel like this was educational and... And some, and some and some and some funny things in there. And <laughs> should we uh, should we just give like a the highlights that Brian can take this and use it for his little mm, YouTube thing? Nah. It's like we 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 clarified why where crop circles come from, mm-hmm. how they happen. Mm-hmm. We also clarified that Sasquatch. There is photographic evidence that there is a Sasquatch esque creature in Davy and Rowan County. Mm-hmm. And we clarified that a ten year old should not be allowed to drive the John Deere Gator. We defined naked nests. Naked nests. And we talked about improving your timber for wildlife and for the overall health of the ecosystem. Yeah. We were all over the place today, but I think it was good. I hope it was good. Thank you all for listening. And uh, join us next week for a guest. Yep. If you're like us, you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. When you get to where you're going, don't forget. Like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website. 3riverslandtrust.org There you can find out about all the events we're putting on, all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. 
We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time. Thank you.